This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. I'm Matt Chorley, here to spread some festive cheer after what has been. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. It's a good start. Uh, Ho, ho, ho. Uh, thank you for unwrapping this special Christmas Day edition of the Red Box Politics podcast on The Times. I'm actually here to spread some festive cheer after what has been a reasonably eventful end to quite a 12 months in politics. Forgoing Christmas Day with their loved ones and joining me to cast a wistful eye over the most dramatic year since last year are my two favourite impressionists who risk being put out of work by the clowns running the country, the brilliant Rory Bremner and the brilliant Jan Ravens. Welcome to you both. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you for joining me here oh. on Christmas Day in this lovely studio with the machine. I think that's Coffee. fake news. I think we need to tell people we're not actually here on Christmas Day. Even Matt at the Red Box <laughs> and Matt at the Times, he's telling fake news. I mean, do you know, we, we could record this program half an hour before it went out and it would still be out of date. So what we've chosen to do is record it on the day that <laughs> Theresa May is facing a vote of no confidence what? in a few hours' time and we don't totally know what had happened but we'll edit it in later. She appeared bleating on uh, the Downing Street steps this morning. Um, she had a bit of a struggle actually getting out of the door uh, of Downing Street but she made it to the podium in the end. Before we dive into the year, you two have been on tour this year. Yes. and But presumably the trouble with doing anything approaching topical comedy is you have to tear it up every morning some of it you do uh, obviously we don't we don't make ourselves such hostages to fortune <laughs> that the, the entire show is based on what's happening in the day's news but yes there's definitely a kind of oh, it was somebody resigns and to be honest for the last two years there has been what television producers call jeopardy you know i haven't known really from one day to the next if Teresa's going to survive and, You're the MP and still for jeopardy yes jeopardy south <laughs> yes <laughs> things do go out of date we uh, we did a joke the other day didn't we about what's the difference between what's the oh yes uh, Teresa doing it doing doing her little joke what's the difference between the alphabet and the 1922 committee the answer is that at least the alphabet has 26 letters well, so now <laughs> the 1922 committee oh. have 48 so that joke that. is out of Well, let's wind that back because actually, end of 2017, December 2017, it saw Theresa May 
rushing off to Brussels. She wasn't going to get a deal. She scrabbled it together. There wasn't going to be an agreement. There was. She ended the year. Everybody hated her. She was going to be forced out. Then she came back in January. That sounds very familiar. I'm sorry. sorry. Sure, that was the end of 2017. Um, And then she she began the year with a reshuffle. It was going to be the big relaunch. She's going to put her back on track where she appointed Chris Grayling chairman of the Tory party for 27 seconds. Mr. Personality. And then (laughs) tried to shake everything up. And then nothing, again, nothing changed. She tried to move Jeremy Hunt. Uh, She lost Justin Greening. And that sort of set the tone for the rest of the year that every time she tried to do something that was within her grasp, it sort of didn't work and people fell out. I didn't think it It was like Chuck Checkers a shunt the hunt would be a sort of quite (laughs) by (laughs) the way by the time this goes out he's my bet for the next Prime Minister by the way because I think they'll they'll, they'll want to stop Jeremy Hunt why because he's such a sort of Teflon man I mean anybody that can preside over the kind of demise of the National Health Service and then be be given (laughs) the Foreign Office that's the alternative I think they'll want to stop Boris candidate when they go and I think Boris is is a busted flush by the way no no Matt you are looking so scared I can tell you you just had a haircut. Surely you'd rather it was Boris because you could do an impression. Has anybody managed to do an no. impression of Jeremy Hunt? Well, Jeremy Hunt hasn't. <laughs> so, you know, I'm waiting for him. But no, he is. Well, the, the thing about Jeremy Hunt is, uh, apart from the rhyming slang bit, is when he couldn't remember whether his wife came from China or Japan. Yeah. So that gives you an in to the sort of Tory thing of having a sort of slightly wacky foreign secretary because we had William Hague when David Cameron was Prime Minister. We had a Prime Minister who thought that Somalia was a wine waiter. And then <laughs> uh, and then and then Boris and then and then, and then um, You missed out Philip Hammers. Good God. Philip Hammers I did, was didn't I? He between. was Foreign Secretary. But then if Foreign Secretary becoming a chance, John Major did that for a while, yeah. didn't he? Yes. Because this all started, wasn't it? The, the, your whole Eurosceptic thing. It all goes back to nineteen 19- 1990, when you called the Eurosceptics bastards. Yes, I did. I did. I always rather regret that. What I meant to say was they were complete... Uh. <laughs> Although I think I put put forward Jacob Rees-Mogg, one of the candidates, uh, one of the candidates for Man of the Year. Uh, I've noticed if you notice the thing about Brexiteers, by the way, they've all got three names. So there's Ian Duncan Smith, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Boris Effing Johnson. But <laughs> I think actually that Jacob Rees-Mogg is really Sasha Baron Cohen's finest creation because I think I think it is a satirical character, complete with all the darkness as well. Uh, it was in the Amazon Delta that I first tasted <laughs> human flesh. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing we did consistently throughout the tour was uh, I was thinking of him as a Gilbert and Sullivan character. You know, and here's a list of all those countries in Europe I can't stand. <clears throat> There's Portugal and Italy and Poland and Romania, the Netherlands and Germany and France and Lithuania, Sweden, Spain and Hungary and Finland and Estonia, Slovenia, Slovakia, maybe Macedonia. There's Malta, Belgium, Greece, Czech Republic and Croatia, and Luxembourg and Cyprus, which is practically in Asia, and Austria and Latvia and Denmark and Bulgaria. And Ireland, and Turkey joins the whole thing, gets much scarier. But at once we're out of Europe and no longer be inferior, we'll soon be doing trade deals with Burundi and Liberia. They want to stop us leaving, which is perfectly absurd of them. It's what the British public voted for, at least a third of them. <laughs> and that's sustained through the year, pretty much. I think back in March, I wrote a column about Jacob Rees-Mogg and basically said he was just a flash in the pan, sort of 15 <laughs> minutes of fame. He was going to burn out and disappear and before we knew it. This is the line I managed to get in the Times on a Saturday. I said, it's only a matter of time before you've been on the National Lottery Live <laughs> emptying his balls into Guinevere. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good joke, even if the prediction that turned out to not be a very good joke. Entirely accurate. Let's wind back a bit earlier in the year. Salisbury. Salisbury was a bit March. The the Russians. It's sort of forget we were under attack from Russia in the in the middle of all of uh, the Brexit stuff. We don't know that. <laughs> we don't know that. Now, was he's, that Jeremy Corbyn or was that, that no, Donald Trump? Because he no, Vladimir, he's he's denied it. 
He has denied it very strongly. This is the strange thing that whatever evidence is given to Donald Trump, he says, well, I don't think that's the case because I spoke to him. Even later in the year when we had the Mohammed bin Salman thing in the Saudis and the CIA was saying, look, we are absolutely certain Mohammed bin Salman is behind this. He said, well, you know, I disagree. He denies it. And, uh, you know, I hate that. He said, I hate the crime. I hate the cover up. But you know what? The crown prince hates it even more than I. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, on Skripal, in fact, Jan and I are playing Salisbury uh, at the end of January. First plug, very good. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) no, what I'm, I'm going to donate my fee to the people in Salisbury whose lives were really blighted. I mean, the people in the, in the city centre who had it in shops and industries and cafes there, because they they've lived with this for six months. But I mean, it was it was it was, it was it's been a chilling thing, really, isn't it? I mean, we're now discovering that you know there, there have been others. Well, we know there have been others, people who have disappeared or been poisoned, and journalists as well. I mean, 65 journalists yeah. have been murdered in the last year. 65. This is an extraordinary. Thing. This is going on. I've not, I've not known a time like this in my lifetime. It does. It does film, and it every so often you sort of raise your eyes above the horizon a bit to see what else is going on other than bloody Brexit. And you wonder when uh, if Putin goes to the White House. I want to sing a song. If it's your thing to authorize the poisoning of former spies to get your kicks, that's Putin on the Brits, folks. Irving Berlin, I knew him very well. <laughs> very talented man. Talented, very talented. <laughs> yes, that's when he met Kim Jong-un earlier in the year, didn't he? This, is, this was the year when I Trump... I forgot about that. Trump that wasn't even in my random... How easy you forget. But he wanted, this is the year where Trump saw all the world's pariahs in one year. Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, Piers Morgan... He went through the whole lot. But Kim Jong-un, they said, what did you make of Kim Jong-un? And he said, he's a very talented gentleman, very talented gentleman. He said, what's, what, what, I just what, love that. What's he good so at? Funny. What's he good at? Killing. He's very, very good yeah, at Yeah, very talented. But Kim Jong-un, a very talented gentleman. I mean, yeah. you can't make it up. You couldn't make it up. But, of course, Trump does. Do you find that? that do you, like, come up with something you think, actually, that's not quite as mad as the, the thing that would actually happen? Definitely. Roy describes it as, you know, we're, we're not on, we're not in WTO rules now, we're, we're in WTF rules. You know, what is happening? Yeah. You know, we just can't believe it. And Every day you wake up and you think, what the have they done? I mean, but even behind the scenes, Andrew Wheeler, he was the chief lobbyist for America's biggest mining corporation. You know what he's doing now? He's head of the Environmental Protection Agency. Now, you can't make this stuff. It's it's all going on. And if any other American president had paid a porn star or got their lawyer to pay a porn star $130,000 the month before the election, that would be the end of the campaign. For Trump, that's just Tuesday. And it just seems to sort of bolster his support. Because there's all these women going, oh, well, he's, you know, we're all fallible. We're all, you see all these kind of, you know, these Trump supporters in the deep south. All going, oh, you know, everybody's fallible. Everybody's got faults. You know, you need to be forgiving. It's sort of like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so you're trying to do stuff in a world where, where that, where truth doesn't really matter yeah. anymore. I mean, the, the Trump thing, the Washington Post have been tracking him since he became president. And since he became president, if you're talking about misleading claims or false statements or complete untruth, the total is now six and a half thousand. So he's come out with six and a half thousand statements. And haven't they created a new sort a of Pinocchio. category of lie? Yes. Four Pinocchios. Yeah, four Pinocchios. Like but these are little things <laughs> like, you know, when he says, you know, I, uh, it's been the most successful 13 weeks in the history of the presidency when he'd been president for 11 weeks. To a, big, to a bigger scale, yes, the biggest tax cut in history, and there have been seven other tax cuts. There's a read across to Boris. You know, whatever Boris, because a lot of Brexit you can trace back to Boris's articles in The Telegraph in Brussels when he talked about, you know, Brussels banning prawn cocktail flavour crisps or banning our double-decker buses, which was just nonsense, but it doesn't seem to matter. And the other day we did Good Morning Britain and there was uh, Kevin Maguire uh, from the Mirror and Andrew Pearce from the Mail. And Kevin Maguire said, why why would you want Boris Johnson, a serial liar, serial liar, he's a liar, he's a serial liar, why would you want him? And Andrew Pearce said, well, he's popular. 
And that's it, isn't it? That, that's, so in a way, you are asked about how we tour, how we do satire this year. But in a strange kind of way, normally it's our job to kind of ridicule politicians and send them up. But when they are so ridiculous in and of themselves, you almost find yourself wanting to paint in the background and, and you know, actually provide facts uh, and bring facts, but fight fire with facts, I call it. <laughs> so you end up doing the facts while the politicians are doing the sort of comic lies. It sort of reminds me of something that I sort of feel I, I have to say is that, you know, 2018 is the, is the year where, you know, we're celebrating 100 years of, of female suffrage and still misogyny is so prevalent. I mean, particularly in politics and comment. I mean, talking about Trump getting away with all this stuff. Can you imagine Hillary, you know, uh, if she were president getting away with all this stuff and then him having all those connections and, and yet still somehow kind of carrying on? I mean, you know, I sort of, I used well, to do this joke of Hillary sort of saying, you know, uh, I don't think the American people could forgive me for being female. You know, I certainly don't think they would have been as forgiving if I had been president and a young intern had performed a sex act on me. And well, to be honest with you, I was looking forward to finding out. (laughs) And I think with Theresa May, although there is no doubt that a lot of her judgments have been absolutely extraordinarily bad, Nevertheless, people saying, you know, she's the worst prime minister we've ever had. I kind of think, mate, she's clearing up the mess left by one entitled Etonian wanker. And if you're not careful, there'll be another one along in a minute to take her place. (laughs) You know, so, you know, be careful what you wish for. And the thing that really struck me looking back over the years, in the midst of all of this, and everyone can say and do what they like and just Mm. carry on. Back in April, Amber Rudd asked her officials a question about are there targets yeah. for force removals. They said no. She was asked the question, said no, yeah. there aren't. And a week later, has to resign. And, and, that, and, and that's like normal politics. People sort of say, well, she's a possible candidate as a prime minister. But, you know, Amber, Amber Rudd, um, Amber Rudd's um, uh, majority <laughs> is actually so fragile. I mean, she, she's got a majority of about 346 or something. Yeah. You know, she's MP for Hastings and Rye, which is basically a tale of two seasides. You know, you've got uh, Rye, which is basically one large antique shop um, and uh, Hastings which is sort of the south coast's answer to a Ken Loach film you know full of um, heroin addicts and Asbo seagulls address and your so, complaints and to so, Jan um, Ravens Carol and so Amber Rudd is basically saved by these wealthy pensioners of rye you know so she's, she's only a flu epidemic away from losing her seat she's probably sort of crop spraying rye you know with flu vaccine as we speak she's so, emerged from the year with some credit I think. and then she gets yes. to the end of the year and is back in the cabinet and starts it's like it never happened yeah. when you're looking at the quality of the ministers that we've got on that front bench I know that the ERG they say all we all we want for Christmas is a new front bench if you look at people of the quality of Chris Grayling uh, and others I think Amber Rudd back in the cabinet is uh, is I think that's I think that's a, a good, good thing. thing and I and I think with with Amber Rudd you might not agree with the way she's voted on certain things or but you sense that she is a, a person with a good heart and with some integrity whereas with a lot of those people you do doubt that you 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 know, you doubt whether their their motivations are, are for the good of all of us or just for the good of themselves. I remember after her conference speech, Amber Rudd's conference speech, when she uh, spoke strongly about immigration, she said, and she was talking about getting down to the tens of thousands. And I bumped into her and I asked her, why, why don't you take students out of the immigration figures? Because, you know, they're here for a short period of time. They actually contribute 20 times more than they cost the country. And they either leave or they stay. And as graduates, they have well-paid jobs and pay taxes. 
why don't you take them out of the immigration figures? Which even Farage agrees yeah. with, by the way. And she said, well, we don't want another U-turn at this stage. So clearly, yeah. that was Theresa doesn't yeah, want another yeah, yeah. U-turn absolutely. at this stage. And I think I, I got the sense that um, that uh, if she had the choice, that something she wouldn't have done, she would have wanted to do. Interestingly, uh, Sajid Javid hasn't done it either. Yeah. Hasn't taken. And it's so to me, it seems an, an absolute no-brainer that when the immigration statistics are being thrown around, wasn't it an irony that at the end of the year it was shown that the EU nationals had gone down by something yeah. like a yeah. one hundred and fifty thousand, and non-EU nationals coming into the country was running at a record level. Um, May in May, John Burko was said to have called. Good <laughs> uh, John Burko was said to have called uh, Andrea Ledsom a f- stupid woman, and I think in the end they denied that he'd sworn, but not the uh, not the, the fact not, that he not, called not her stupid. a stupid woman. And it was one of those arguments where nobody was quite sure whose side they were on. Um, <laughs> Andrea Ledsom is one of those people who you know. Um, if the Tupperware party had a sort of, you know, terrorist wing, you know, she's like sort of an extremist Tupperware party. About- she's when when she was up, up for, against Theresa as leader last time, she said, I'm not saying I would make a better prime minister than Theresa because I'm a mother. But I am saying she's barren and her womb is cursed. Um, I mean, she's. She does sort of put herself out as Mrs. Sensible, doesn't she? It's kind of very much the voice of reason. And what about John Burko? Particularly oh, Westminster. No. There's, a, there's been a particular lot of complaints about him. I mean, he, he, he's not arguably being a fair referee in the comments. He's quite clearly helping out the opposition. He's made Theresa Sorry, May. the opposition? Well, the, the, sorry, sorry, what? <laughs> uh, sorry, did somebody say opposition? Got, I don't know how many minutes we are yeah. without even mentioning that. <laughs> We're going to come on through in a second. But John, John Burko has been sort of, you know, he's, he's been calling all the people who hate Theresa first so it all looks worse and all that how do you think what sort of years he had he's an extraordinary character isn't he I mean you have speakers I mean it's very disturbing all the accusations against him I mean you know all the the, the bullying and the bullying accusations uh, Margaret Beckett saying well, it might be true, but he's on our side for Brexit, so let's not oh, deal with not it. Not good enough. That's not good yeah. enough. Yeah. What is the process for getting rid of the speaker? How does that work? Probably not a proper system because they normally die in office or retire and go off to the House of Lords. Um, Michael Martin was forced out after the MPs' expenses scandal, but that was basically when he, it was obviously lost the support of the House. And Burko's calculation is the more anti-Brexit and anti-Theresa May is being the more he's got the support of the Labour Party. And it's that weird thing that MPs won't speak out against the Speaker because they think that if they do that and he stays, they won't, they won't get, uh, called. get called again. It's completely crazy. How does he decide who to call? It's entirely up to him. June. Let's talk about Jeremy Corbyn. My favourite bit for Jeremy Corbyn's year was Jazz Fest, Labour Live, <laughs> the the music festival where tickets sold like cold cakes and they had to sort of flog them off cheaply. Do you People do Jeremy say, Corbyn? Yeah, I don't do it very well. Let me tell you, because it, well, he, he's there's that kind of um, he gets very exasperated with interviews, and he starts to breathe through his nose and gets quite patronising. If you don't mind, um, really I mean, I, I, I always see think of him not so true. much as a leader, as, as as a mascot. You know those grey things you get on the front of a lorry that look like they're sort of like a bit of a bear or something, and they've got an eye missing. And people do say that he's a good speaker, but I've watched the speaker, and I'm waiting for that moment, and and. And, um, you know, for the Obama moment, you know, when you're here and you're swayed by the rhetoric. And and what I hear is, is do you remember Michael Palin in Life of Brian? And there will be rumours of things going astray. <laughs> A friend shall lose his friend's hammer. And that's, I mean, it, but actually, but behind this is a real seriousness. I mean, he's, it, it's, it's, it's like he's sort of bed blocking. He's there, but for no real purpose. I mean, you think at this time of complete swirling chaos and disarray, 
I think it might have even been you actually that tweeted today that you know with the prime minister's questions on a Wednesday at this huge moment that he's more most likely to lead with bin collection. There is such talent there in the Labour Party, but it's kind of you think, well, what's what is he what is he there for? And he didn't he didn't want to be there either. It was but a lot of, of the talent is not sort of on his side, is it? It's your Yvette Cooper. Yeah, Starmer has had a good year. I think Keir Starmer has had a very good year. I and think. Yvette Cooper has too. I mean, Yvette Cooper in those Home Affairs committees, yeah. she's on fire, isn't she? She's so great. Caroline you know? Dynage, the immigration minister going up against Yvette yeah. Cooper, is a joy to watch yeah. every time. Yeah. To, to the point she just stopped answering questions and just stared at her because yes. she thought, if I don't say anything, I can't get it wrong. You talked earlier about misogyny. I think actually in some ways in the House of Commons, it's been the women that have led the way. Theresa May, like her or not, you know, mm. the, the resilience and the stickability. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge Theresa May fan, nor is Jan, I think. Uh, in, in I the, think I may have occasionally said one or two things about it, which were a bit anti. Well, <laughs> so, but given that, I mean, I think even the sort of hardest hearted are aware that she has she has held to the sense of duty. And if you think about, we talked about Amber Rudd earlier on, but Anna Subri, who's been kept plugging away, plugging away from the, from the back benches uh, about Brexit and has taken all sorts of abuse. We talked about Jess Phillips just mm, now. And, yeah. and even Nikki Morgan as chair of the Treasury Select Committee. Actually, a lot of the most impressive MPs in the last year have, have been women, I would say. But then, of course, Rory, you get the less impressive ones, Rory, that always are so disappointingly badly prepared for their interviews. Have Diane Abbott, she's actually Diana? kept no, quiet. She's, I mean, you know, because away. the year before... She's still got that migraine from the election. In 2017, I was genuinely worried that she was really very, very unwell. I don't know what that was about, but certainly this year, it seems to be that she hasn't been the one that's put out by the Labour Party to answer lots of very detailed questions on the cost of this, that and the other. I think on that um, one she was just very, very unprepared, I think. It that was will the... cost. Yeah. But then it's, you know, it's it different. It will cost. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, it was, but the really frustrating thing was, from a journalist's point of view, senior politician during a general election campaign is asked a question that they should know the answer to. Yeah. And if they don't know, it just became a sort of MSM conspiracy to yes, stitch yes. everyone up. Yes. This was a totally outrageous expectation that they would know what they were yeah, doing. Yeah, that's the thing that Trump's done. Making the mainstream media the villain in all yeah. this. Obviously, sometimes it can behave less than... But it's the media that's trying to sort of draw out the truth. So now, one politician, one politician did pop up just before Christmas getting into a car was David Cameron. Although I think Danny Dyer, I thought, had the best <laughs> summation. Yes, the four-letter summation. Of, yeah. Do you do a Danny... Do you, were you going to do no, Danny I, Dyer? No, I do a David Cameron. Well, I know Danny Dyer. Well, I mean, there, were, there were two Danny Dyers, weren't there? It was Danny Dyer uh, pair... And Danny yeah. Dyer feel. Oh, yeah, like actually. Actually, yeah, honestly. Yeah, Danny Dyer. Yeah, right. It was so funny because Corbyn was on that same programme. Sitting next to Pamela Anderson. Sitting next to Pamela Anderson. Oh, <laughs> bizarrely. And uh, and the way Danny Dyer just went, you know, David Cameron, twat. No one's got a clue what Brexit is. He said it's a riddle. He just kept saying it's a riddle. And then he said, where is that twat, Cameron? Is he in Nice with his trotters up? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he's kind of spoke for the nation there, didn't he? Yeah. At that particular point. And I, and I probably, I don't know, I think I was in Nice. I'm a big fan of Europe, as you know. My father, uh, we used to, he used to take us all around Europe when I was a child. It was all these wonderful places. We went to Monaco and Switzerland <laughs> and, 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 and the Isle of Man and, and Luxembourg. And I, and I remember, and he said, one day all oh, this will be yours. Um, but yes, he's, he has, it's Christmas, and he did a carol service, didn't he, with uh, Alistair Campbell? and uh, I think Piers Morgan who was yeah, the last yeah. minute replacement for Nick Clegg 
supposedly. I did a carol service last Christmas. This is completely irrelevant, but anyway, I'll tell you. I did a carol service last Christmas at Chelsea Royal Hospital. And um, there are all sorts of the great and the good there. And one of the other readers was uh, Dame Joan Collins. And she arrived, you know, with Percy, you know, in a sort of fur, round fur hat and large sunglasses with huge, you know, um, shopping bags from Louis Vuitton. She sort of trotted in on these high black patent boots. And, and, and she hadn't arrived for the sound check, so nobody knew what she was going to read. And she put all these sort of massive shopping bags down and sat down next to Percy and you know time, time came for her reading and she trotted up the steps to the lectern and go imagine no possessions <laughs> I wonder if you can what <laughs> oh that was like Eva Perron wasn't it do you remember Quentin Chris? do you remember Quentin Chris? wonderful raconteur he died of you he told a story about Eva Perron who addressed the crowd in, in Buenos Aires and she threw her arms wide open. And as she, as she did this gesture, there was a noise. It was a noise like trucks being shunted into a railway siding as all these rings and bangles <laughs> and bracelets <laughs> clattered up around these expensive jewellery. We... The shirtless. <laughs> uh, <laughs> imagine no possessions, yeah. Joan. Yeah. Now, who knew that we'd end the year having seen Theresa May dance not once, but twice? Well, you know, uh, she does have to think about her future. So I think, you know, using her own party conference as an open audition for Strictly Come Dancing was probably a very wise move. Although if you see Theresa auditioning for Strictly, you know perfectly well that she'll be uh, the crap old one that's partnered with Anton Dubeck and voted off in the first week. Theresa, but you were like the African queen. You see, she danced in, in Kenya and it was so precise and it was so... But I've got to say, darling, we have to restrict your freedom of movement. Yes, yes, I think it's very important. That was Jan's line. Party conference season, a sort of nightmare for people like me because I go to all of them. I even went to the Lib Dems, mainly because it was by the sea and the sun was out and there's a new crazy golf course <laughs> in Brighton. And we went thinking that nothing was going to happen. And basically nothing happened. But Vince Cable announced he was going to resign in this sort of tantric resignation where sort of nothing ever happened. And then it finished up with his speech, his oh, exotic spresum. It's terrible because it had been... It was that was the one line in his the speech that had been brief. trailed, and it's funny. It was it's it's funny how the human brain works like that because he was going to say that Brexit was an erotic spasm. I always think he's a bit like Barraclough in in Porridge. No, you know, <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. No, you've probably done it. But it's a little bit like you do that with the weather forecast, don't you? You sit down and think, right, okay, weather forecast, right? I can really pay attention. And at the end, you go. Oh, God, I'm, I didn't really... What, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, I, I know, I've, I've, I've drifted off. I know, it's like people explaining the backstop agreement. So like, oh, sorry, I just drifted off. <laughs> we work with Fred McCauley quite a lot. And Fred, Fred um, he said he, he accidentally, I think he was in Northern Ireland, he accidentally referred to the backstop as, as the butt plug. <laughs> <laughs> so they're renegotiating, renegotiating the butt plug. Although I'm, I'm not sure if the Brexit is be more pro or anti, if that was what, actually what it was called. <laughs> The other thing about party comedy season, we thought it was all about Boris Johnson because he comes rolling in for one yeah, day and yeah. then makes a great big hullabaloo. But he was completely upstaged by an even more toffee, posh... Uh, Jeffrey. Jeffrey Cox, yeah. the Brexiteer. Oh, and now! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's no use bang from the back benches. And he was in tears after. Get real and grow up. Now, that was was in the the Commons the other week, wasn't it? But yeah, the party conference. I mean, I'd never heard him speak before. I was absolutely, I thought, who the hell is this? I I knew of Jeffrey Cox because years ago, when I worked on the Western Morning News, he was one of my local MPs. So before the 2010 election, I could phone him up and you knew he would give you a terrific quote about why the Labour government was the worst thing ever. 
And in those days, when you phoned his mobile, he'd recorded his answer phone message. I think he had an office <laughs> near Big Ben Tower. And he'd recorded it with the bells going off. So it's, if you didn't pick up the phone, it would go, Bong! <laughs> Hello, Jeffrey here! Bong! <laughs> Please leave a message. Unfortunately, he doesn't have that anymore. I think he's a bit more serious attorney general for our times. We talked about Phil Hammond earlier on and Chris Grayling. Um, there are very few beyond the big beasts that are sort of really worthwhile for an impressionist. You think, oh, I can really work with this. But Jeffrey Cox, I think, um, I, th- I mark him down as a New Year project. There's a New Year's resolution. <laughs> New Year's mm. resolution. What about you, Jan? Who who do you think is emerging? This is assuming Let's that Liz Truss well, is currently Let's private. Some, you lose some. Well, well Liz Truss is bizarre. <laughs> because <laughs> well, that is true. Liz Truss does that thing of sort of, you know, she, you get the impression that she was one of those little girls whose daddy always told her she was very funny. <laughs> and so she makes these jokes and very slowly and badly timed. And everyone seems to feel obliged to kind of go <laughs> and do that sort of what you call my winnie, you know, when oh. you tell me a new joke and I go, <laughs> and you know, it's sort of like, it's kind of. I wish you could see Jan's face doing that impression because it's just, it's not the same. It reminds me a little bit of your Kirsty Allsop, which is the. Kirsty Allsop, yes. <laughs> occasionally, occasionally, yes. The ghastly girl at school you secretly wish you'd slapped when you had the chance. But that's a yeah. Brilliant Liz Truss. My abiding memory of Liz Truss is that thing that's on YouTube from years ago of her at a party conference saying, we have exported 58 tons of pork sausage or something. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 you just it was, the, it, that it was is cheese. A disgrace. It was cheese. We import too much of our cheese. And she said, that yes. is a disgrace. disgrace. And, everyone, and waited for uh, three <laughs> hours for applause. Everyone <laughs> fell about laughing and have been laughing about it ever since. Now she's confused that with thinking that she's yes. now a sort of standard oh, yes. comedian. Yeah. They're laughing at you. It's really weird. But is she, I mean, Matt, I mean, you can tell, is she thought, you know, to be talented or? Is she thought to be talented? Is she thought to be talented? <laughs> well, obviously, if she is now Prime Minister, I yeah. think she's excellent. And yeah. the more interviews she wants to yeah. do with the Red Hot Podcast, thinking who could, but I don't, it's it's really weird to be doing this thinking that it's all going to be out of date. Anyway, I hope you're enjoying your Christmas. <laughs> right now, the, the nativity play is taking Yes, exactly. Place, I mean, where, I just, where Theresa May and Philip Hammond are playing Mary and Joseph, <laughs> looking after the little baby Brexit. It wasn't planned. <laughs> and the three wise men have resigned. And the, the ox and ass are looking for a strong stable. Arlene Foster's playing King Herod. (laughs) (laughs) Joseph keeps turning to Mary and saying, what on earth is going on? And Mary says, let me be clear. Nothing has changed. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. I sort of feel like there's not a lot of point during the rest of the year because we sort of know what happened yet we don't know what happened. October and November sort of came. I mean, nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. It's all exploded again. We had a royal wedding. We did have a royal wedding. We had a, Which Trump didn't go to. Wasn't invited. I wasn't invited. But I know Meghan very well, very, very, Meghan Merkel and her mother Angela. That was a good wedding, wasn't it? That was a good we wedding. We liked the wedding. We, yes. liked the, we liked the vicar. Uh, we like, yeah, yeah. He spoke about Martin Luther King, who's I knew him very well. I was very close to him. Uh, we were That's really close, talented. really close, very talented we were, man. Uh, yeah, we were so close. But I think it captured a real spirit, and having the gospel choir was an inspired move. And the preacher was amazing. He did, as Prince Philip would put, he did go on a bit. Yeah, uh, and you could see that. So he slightly milked. I think for the first sort of four or five minutes, he thought, this is amazing. And he thought, oh, hang on, there's a little bit more of this. The sadness is that by the end of the year now, the knives are out for Megan, and you can really tell. And we did the Royal Variety Show a couple of weeks ago. And Jan was, you know, you were really thrilled to be. <laughs> well, she you was know what? I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, particularly royalist. And uh, we were in the lineup afterwards. And I just found myself saying to Megan, can I just say you're a breath of fresh air in, your, in our royal family? Thank you so much. Oh, 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 thank you. And I said, you were so brilliant the way you, you know, you laughed at all, everything and you sat there and laughed and clapped. I said, it was so lovely. Well, Harry and I have been looking forward to it. It was a great date night. <laughs> what a sweet thing oh, to say. So I nice. love when you say so you're a breath of fresh air. It's like, what do you, what's Patricia Routledge? What was her? Oh, well, yes, it's like, I couldn't be more thrilled about Brexit. It's like a shot of Febreze in a teenager's bedroom. <laughs> so, but also, I think people are just glad to have a break from Brexit. The idea of two people arguing yes. over tiara. But you can understand that. That's yeah. easily solved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, We're all having arguments at Christmas. God knows, yes. Well, I just, yeah. the, but I'm sorry to drag us back to the obvious, but I mean, at one point, the leading, the offices of the Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition were debating whether to go on after the Strictly Results show or before <laughs> the final of I'm a Celebrity. And it came down to that. And I, by the way, the best show I saw this year was Matt's in Cheltenham. I can make him blush now. Because, you know, you, you had compiled this material during the year and your thing has always been This is not normal. normal. This is not normal. And it hasn't been normal all year. And I suspect it won't be normal. But why is it so particularly not normal? Is it just that we know more now? I mean, is, is it that more things get exposed or... So I think... So I did a show, an hour-long show at the Charlton... Yeah, you do it. You, come on. And <laughs> in one of the more serious bits in it, I thought about it being the end of shame. There's a sort of shamelessness mm. in politics. That in the past, if a cabinet minister got something spectacularly wrong, they mm -hmm. resigned. Yeah. Or if, for example, you accidentally mislaid your majority, yeah. you'd resign over yeah. Or if, in Jeremy Corbyn's case, when 70 or 100 front benchers resigned, he lost a vote of no confidence and just carried on. And Donald mm. Trump's the same sort of thing. You yeah. Once you, once you give up caring whether mm. or not you look ridiculous, unprincipled or whatever, mm. then you just, you just sort of carry on. And it's the way that everyone in politics... Just it doesn't matter if you get something wrong, or you're caught lying, or you're mm. caught. You know, they just this, it's the sort of shamelessness it's back, it's back that, that he's just a liar, but he's popular. Yeah, and it just keeps on going. Which is why I think one of my um, people of the year was Lord Bates, who was the minister in the Lords, who turned up. He turned up a few minutes late to answer questions in the Lords, 
and resigned in the dispatch box. He said, I'm terribly sorry about all of this and I'm going to submit my resignation. And Theresa May's response was, you're not getting out of it that easily. And she refused <laughs> to accept it and he's still stuck in the government. But at least one person was willing yeah. to, to resign on a, on, a, on a point of principle. So before we wind up, you two have been on tour this year. How does that work? Is it you on your own? Do you do sketches together? Actually, not, not that many, as it turned out. Well, when we started, because uh, Jan had done a show in Edinburgh last year, and uh, and I had some material, obviously, from the year. So we, we said, well, let's let's do a show together. And then we had a, a, a director, Marcus, who used to uh, direct my show at the BBC, Marcus Mortimer. And he said, look, if you're on stage, you've got to work, you know, do something together. So we, we wrote a sort of we wrote a sort of forty towers sketch, Matt, and it was like it was it was a sort of post Brexit forty towers, and uh, it's like what would, what's Britain going to be like post Brexit? Well, basically, you know, as far as we can tell, it's going to be like a nineteen seventy sitcom. <laughs> Basil, coming dear. Basil, I hope you're not still fawning over all those ghastly Americans in their silly red caps. Those ghastly Americans are exactly the kind of people we want to come and attract to dine here after we've given Europe the old heave ho. Well. I'll have a job, Basil. The kitchen's closed. Well, what do you mean the kitchen's closed? You know perfectly well since we left the European Union, we've got no staff. Oh, I suppose that's my fault as well, is it? Right, well, stupid, stupid Basil. Well, you started it. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You voted Brexit. Look, you know perfectly well the only reason I voted Brexit is I don't want a bunch of faceless bureaucrats in Brussels telling me what to do. No, Basil, that's my job. <laughs> right, my little fount of all wisdom, maybe you wouldn't mind telling us what has the EU ever done for us? Well, Basil, apart from the single market in the open borders, if you're talking about Torquay, there's the two and a half million they spent developing the waterfront and the one and a half million on the coastal zoo. That's true, actually. Right, well, if you're <laughs> going to bring facts into it, Manuel... Manuel! You'll have to shout louder than that, Basil. He's gone home. What? He's in Barcelona. Right, OK, well, good riddance. We can replace him with some good old British staff. That's a little bit tricky, Basil, as European nationals make up a quarter of our chefs, a third of our housekeepers and three quarters of our waiters. Well, we only need three quarters of a waiter. Oh, good evening, Major. Good evening, Mrs Faulty. Johnny Foreigner giving you jip again. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry, Major. Sybil, what is the matter with you? I'm so sorry. It's just the Major looks just like Nigel Farage. Got to look the part, Mrs. Forty. Blazer, club tie, pink trousers. Stuck in the 1950s. No, 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 no. 1940s. Got the Hun on the run and shoulder to shoulder with the Yanks. You can go shoulder to shoulder with some in the bar if you like. Yes, uh, charming people, all Trump supporters. Uh, yes, just don't mention the trade war. I mentioned it once. I think I got away with it. Take no notice of him, Major. Have you had a lovely day? Lovely day. Thank you, Mrs Forty. I went for a good British walk along a British seaside and finished up with a lovely British curry. Oh, good evening, Mrs Richards. Good evening, Major. Seen the telegraph? Pound down again. Jolly good. Nasty foreigners. That'll send them packing. Yes, I expect that'll be why they closed down the care home. Yes, did you hear about that? They had no staff, so they had to shut down. What? Who's got to sit down? No, the care home. All the foreign staff left. They had to go home. I'm so sorry. I'd completely forgotten. Brexiteer. Is she? Oh, good for you, Mrs Richards. No, 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 no. She suffers from Brexiteer. Selective deafness. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Only hearing what you want to hear. No, missed it completely. It's ironic, really, isn't it, Basil? What is, darling? The fact that we finally sold out Gourmet Night only to find the only thing we've got to give them is a tin of spam? No, that John Cleese is leaving Britain just as the entire country's turning into faulty towers. You think he'd be flattered? 
Well, if you enjoyed that sketch, then you can go and see Rory and Jan on tour. Where can people see and how can they get tickets? I think we're in Radlip. That's sold out uh, 23rd of January. 24th of January in Tunbridge Wells. And 30th of January in Salisbury. And as I say, some of that money will be raised for uh, people of Salisbury after the Screepal poisoning and we're in Cambridge I think 3rd of February we're in Cambridge at the Arts Theatre thank you for listening not just this special but throughout 2018 my thanks to Rory Boner and Jan Ravens but also to everyone who's appeared as a panellist often at short notice and to everyone who's got in touch with comments and reviews both good and bad for the podcast and a special thanks to my producer Alex Jakes who managed to make the podcast sound brilliant apart from when we go on the road to party conferences and he doesn't come with us and I'm in charge of recording it uh, but for now for me Matt Chorley it's Merry Christmas and goodbye This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.